Welcome to the Torcana Real Estate Investment Show with Colin Murphy, a podcast for anyone who wants to learn more about building a rental property portfolio with strong cash flow and stable tenants. Here's your host, Colin Murphy. Hey, everybody, this is Colin Murphy, and welcome to episode 38 of the Torcana Real Estate Podcast. Well, what a couple of months it's been with the coronavirus just turning everybody's lives upside down. I hope you're all staying safe and healthy and bracing yourself for what's going to be another highly unusual and potentially difficult few weeks or a couple of months for some of you. I've recorded a slightly different podcast than usual for this special time that we're living in. I had the pleasure of welcoming Keith Weinhold to the podcast booth last week. I recorded a video webinar with him, which people on our mailing list would have received a copy of last uh, Friday, three days ago. But we there's no special graphs or anything like that. It was just a conversation we had. So I'm going to include it in a podcast. I thought uh, some of you might find it useful. We covered a lot of useful ground. I mean, there's unprecedented volatility in the global economy right now. And we thought you might appreciate a few insights into how the coronavirus is affecting local real estate markets in the short, medium and long term. There's a particular focus of Tampa, Florida, but a lot of the things we talked about were universal and, and can apply to a lot of different markets. So we covered a lot of material, Keith Weinhold and I, which included the lessons I learned uh, with my business partners in the 2008 crisis that can be applied now, actions that can work well for investors in an economic crisis whether or not we should be anticipating falls in house prices and rents during the next few quarters and beyond, the types of repairs you might consider postponing or talking to your property manager about postponing, what reserves you should have in place uh, to weather the coming months and reserves you should always have in place anyway for bumps in the road, and the types of people currently buying and selling properties, because I can assure you there are lots of people still buying and selling properties, myself included. And we've talked about a lot more besides after the, the conversation, it's about a 30-minute conversation, I'm going to come back with some concluding remarks on real estate as a very special safe haven investment. So I'm going to hand over to the conversation I had with Keith Weinhold, and then I'm going to come back afterwards, and I hope you enjoy it. Colin Murphy, turnkey provider extraordinaire. He is with Torcana. They serve investors in the Tampa MSA. Colin, welcome. Let's open things up bigger picture a bit first, Colin, and talk to us about what you learned from the last downturn or your experience with that, which most Americans experienced between 2007 and 2009, a different sort of crisis. Yeah, I mean, I was running a real estate business you know, back in 2006, and we enjoyed the, the boom up and, and, and the crash downwards. And, and I learned a lot of, of hard lessons from that. And, and my current business, Torcana.com, was founded in January 2009 as a direct kind of result of the crisis to offer distressed real estate. But we, we learned a lot of lessons, myself and my colleagues, one of which uh, we never forgot was to have a lean mindset, because there's nothing worse than having a large office with large overheads, lots of employees that you then have to let go and close and reduce. It's, it's not nice. I prefer to have a lean mindset where you can kind of, you know, go through lean times and, and tough times a lot easier. Uh, having those lower fixed overheads, just growing slowly. You know, I'm in the get rich, slow business, not in the get rich, yeah. quick business. And real estate is a fantastic way of getting rich slowly. And, and I kind of learned that as well the hard way. And just don't be greedy. Take a modest salary, make modest real estate investments. Uh, just try and do stuff that's been proven. I mean, I sell 
renovated middle-class single-family homes in, in suburban neighborhoods. That's nothing new. It's nothing particularly exciting, but it's a very proven way of, of, of being successful and being resilient in different economic cycles. And just go deep on what you're good at. I don't try and claim to be an expert in commercial real estate, residential real estate, short-term lets, Airbnbs. I'm an expert in a very specific uh, you know, selection of neighborhoods in Tampa, Florida, and, and that's it. And we've gone very, very deep in that. And just building strong relationships is key. And you'll notice that any time a business goes through tough times to have good relationships with, with lenders, with insurance companies, with property appraisers, inspectors, rehabbers, and people like yourself, obviously the investors, just having a, a deep bench of relationships that, that can get your back when things get tough is, is very, very good. And uh, yeah, like I said, we learned a lot of tough lessons 10 years ago and the way we designed our business you know, enabled us to kind of grow slowly and is also going to enable us to kind of weather uh, this crisis uh, you know, better than most, I suspect. When you're one of those companies that operates in a lean way, you don't have to be one of those employers that makes those layoffs, which has really led to some of the problems. So tell us about some of the actions, like the specific actions you found in the past that work well for investors and tenants when the area has experienced a crisis or a likely downturn like we're in. Yeah, I mean, the coronavirus is, is undoubtedly a crisis. And I consider myself fortunate that I'm in the real estate business and not the hotel business or the restaurant business or you know any other kind of service industry. Because the truth is, regardless of the economic situation or, or a health crisis, people, you know, tenants need somewhere to live. People always need somewhere to live. It's a fundamental need in any situation. And well-priced, quality homes are pretty much always in, in high demand. So, you know, there's certain kind of choices you need to make in, in terms of, of, you know, selling properties to investors. You, you need to make extra efforts, maybe on the renovations, on the curb appeal, make the house stand out even more than it normally does. If the pool of buyers reduces temporarily and before there might have been 100 buyers for, for 70 houses and now there's 50 buyers for 70 houses, you want to be in the top 10% or the top 15%. So you want to be priced similarly to the other ones, but have that extra effort, whether it's you know, landscaping, granite countertops, freshly painted front door, new front door, professional marketing, things like that help a lot. And in terms of just managing tenants, which we'll talk to in a bit, talk with in a bit more detail later, just clear, regular communication with, with people on, on their responsibilities and, and obligations and their options. Is, is very important. And just know your, your market and, and know your business and, and you'll be fine. Real estate, uh, you know, particularly, uh, you know, residential real estate is, is very, very well positioned. So whether this crisis, you know, you're not in this, none of your listeners are in this to kind of buy a house in April and sell it in June. If that's your, your, your game, then yeah, you might very well lose money doing that. That's a bad plan. It's, it, this is a long-term game. This isn't quarter by quarter. This is almost decade by decade is how you make money in real estate. And, and, you know, when you look backwards in two, five, 10 years, this, this is just a, you know, a big bump in the road that won't have anywhere near as big an impact on, uh, you know, landlords as many, many other industries. It's about coming with that long-term mindset. We're here talking about something that's more recession resilient with long-term rentals. I always suggest people invest for the long-term because hopefully they plan to be alive for the long-term. So, 
let's talk about from your perspective, now that we've been in this shutdown for a substantial amount of time, I know it can be difficult to project, but do you anticipate decreasing rents or decreasing home prices, let's say in the next one year? I mean, it's a question that's on a lot of people's minds. On, on the one hand, if you have a severe contraction in GDP, which is you know pretty much certain to happen, there's, it's going to have an impact, a short-term impact on real estate. It's impossible for anybody to predict, but it's, it's going to differ widely uh, from county to county and, and, and town to town. I mean, if you have somewhere like a beach town, uh, for example, with, with lots of hotels and resorts and beaches, that's going to be much more dramatically affected by this, uh, you know, in the next three or four quarters than a kind of suburban area with a low exposure to the service industry. I mean, the places where, where we buy and renovate and sell, and this isn't a coincidence, are there, there middle-class, single-family neighborhoods in established areas with a diverse employment base that has little or no exposure to the service sector. I mean, our, our areas is light on the service sector and heavy on government jobs. So you got a lot of government admin workers, a lot of people working in the health sector, a lot of people working in the school system. Then you've a lot of kind of good quality trades, like, you know, you've, well, you've policemen, you've firefighters, you've, you've plumbers, landscapers, electricians. These are all essential workers. Yeah. A lot of retirees up there. We have a very high percentage of retirees on fixed incomes, and they're still going to stay fixed over the next, you know, 10 months, 12 months, 30 months. So we're very well placed to be uh, weathering this crisis. There's inventory in our areas is exceptionally low. So we haven't been struggling to sell or rent homes. I haven't yet seen any downturn in, in rents or, or sales prices where you know, people are moving into these houses at the rents I was estimating two or three months ago when we first bought the house. So that hasn't changed. I mean, will there be a temporarily dip in sales prices um, because of reduced amount of buyers and, and you know higher unemployment. I think it's very possible, but it's impossible to predict this accurately and it's gonna differ widely from sector to sector. With generally speaking, areas with a heavy exposure to the service sector and the retail sector suffering a lot more than areas with a heavy exposure to healthcare, government jobs, and other kind of you know trades. Because, of course, Economics 101 is supply versus demand. Is there going to be sufficient, sustainable demand for this certain supply of houses? That's the question. But mm-hmm. some things that economists understand beyond this is capacity to pay. So it's about that tenant having the capacity to pay and have that type of job that is durable. And that's what increases the durability of your income stream as an investor. And just so you know what geographic area we're talking about, the sweet spot where homes make sense and those price points make sense, that investor advantage market in the Tampa area is about a 40 to 45 minute drive, depending on traffic. We're talking about areas that are in Port Ritchie, Florida, New Port Ritchie, Florida, and Holiday, Florida. And you might remember, in, as you know, if you were on the tour with us, uh, Get Rich Education's Tampa field trip, Colin and I were the hosts of that trip. So just to give you some context and some background about what we're talking about and what areas we're in. So with those sorts of thoughts in mind, we think about tenants, employers. What is that shorter term outlook on your tenants and employers? Because we know that real estate is a good long-term investment, but how about that shorter term where that investor needs that cash flow in order to control that mortgage on the income property? Yeah, it's, it's a fair question. And, you know, on, on the one hand, you have retailers like Amazon and Walmart, which have a huge presence 
in Tampa, and, and we all know they're, they're expanding heavily to meet increased demand for their goods and services. And so while service sector employers have been laying a lot of people off, you know, you go to Clearwater Beach, there's going to be a lot of unemployment in Clearwater Beach. I think, you know, I hope they're going to hire them back very quickly. America is an incredibly resilient uh, market. The, the labor market is more dynamic than any other labor market I've been involved in. And I've lived in a lot of different countries over the years. America is, is quite unique in how quickly it can kind of bounce back from a crisis. And due to, that's due to the, just the built-in flexibility of the labor market. And like I said, like the areas where we operate in, there's, there's no beaches, there's no hotels, there's no theme parks. You, you've been there. And, uh, you know, Tampa's got a very strong health sector. Uh, the tenants have a lot of stable government jobs. So, you know, the, most of the people that are employed in our areas, they're not being ordered to stay at home because they're performing essential tasks. I mean, if they're working for the local county, they're not losing their jobs. If they're in the school system, they're not losing their jobs. Policemen, firefighters, same thing. Fixed income, it's not going to change. And the other people, all those, you know, trades, electricians, plumbers, landscapers, they're all busy. You know, th- those houses are still being renovated. Those services are, are still busy. Even like the pool maintenance guys, I talk to them every now and again, they're busier than ever because there's so many people at home and they want their pool maintained. This, this is Florida. Use your pool about 10 months of the year. So it's, Look, it's, it's going to be tough for unemployment. We've all seen the numbers. They're, they're very, very dramatic. And, and the, the unemployment numbers are going to be crazy for the next couple of quarters. I'm just counting myself fortunate, and our investors are quite fortunate, that we operate in a niche area with low-density, single-family homes in a very resilient market. And, and don't forget, I think there's going to be one of the, the consequences of all this, and I'm already noticing it talking to property managers, is that you know there's a lot of people that don't like the idea of living in dense apartment communities anymore right. with these expensive HOA fees and these fancy shared amenities that they can't use now because they're all closed. And they prefer having their own piece of land, having their own building on a land. And that goes for whether you're a renter or, or whether you're, you're a homeowner owning a condo or renting a condo. So there's, there's going to be a trend away from densely populated areas to kind of lower density suburban areas. We're seeing that. I don't know if it's going to be a massive surge or just something that'll have a 5% effect, but I think when you combine that with low inventory, it's, it's going to help. It's, it's going to help a lot. And I'm very glad we're, we're operating in the type of market we are because it's, it's very local, uh, you know, depending on where you are. When you think about pandemic effects and how easily transferable this disease is, people don't feel so good about living in communal apartments now where you have shared hallways, shared railings that people are putting their hands on, maybe a shared laundry room. And since you deal with single family homes, you don't have any of those effects. And you bring up something really interesting. Oftentimes the sweet spot for real estate investors are those areas like this geography that we're talking about that are away from flashy places, that are away from a casino, that are away from a resort with a spa. And it's exactly those non-essential businesses like a casino and like a resort with a spa that need to close down. So it's just really interesting about what's happened. Tell us about any more sort of effects that you have in we, you know, we have a lot of parties reliant upon people making new acquisitions. So do you anticipate any sort of delay in closing, whether that's a delay with mortgage loans or title companies mm-hmm. or having your home inspector come over or appraisals or so on? How does that climate look now that we've been into the crisis for, for a few weeks here? Do you anticipate delays in closing? It's a great question, and, and it's something you'd never even consider asking a few months ago. Are you going to have problems right. with appraisers or inspectors uh, coming to your house? But the truth is, is that there's hardly any friction 
with vacant homes and there's loads of friction with occupied homes. And but what by that I mean is if you have an occupied home, whether it's occupied by a tenant or an owner-occupier and somebody's trying to sell that house in this current market, uh, appraisers don't want to go inside, agents don't want to go inside, buyers aren't keen about it, inspectors don't really want to do it. So it's you've people taking those homes off the market, you know, sometimes because they don't want people coming into their house, even though they want to sell it, they don't want people coming inside it. So you've got this crazy situation where, where vacant homes have like zero friction. We've been selling vacant homes at a very normal pace during the last four to five weeks, including, you know, we're, we're recording this on the 3rd of April, 2020. We've sold several properties this week, several last week, same with tenants moving in this week and last week. So there's zero friction with the vacant homes. Everybody's happy to walk into them and look around, appraise them, inspect them, photograph them, whatever needs to be done. So there's a huge difference at the minute, vacant homes are the kind of the gold dust and occupied homes, even owner occupied homes with pristine modern kitchens and all the rest of which normally sell just as quickly as a vacant home are, are being, you know, it's, it's very hard to sell them. Sometimes people just can't sell them and there's a lot of houses temporarily off market. So even though there's a drop in the number of buyers because people are nervous about buying, might be losing their jobs, people are taking a decent amount of the inventory off the market, whereas the vacant inventory is still there. You know, we've listed multiple homes uh, on the MLS. They're they're selling fine. There's lots of people making offers on them. Same with the investor homes. We're showing them homes with pristine photos. So there's a there's a huge difference. We're not experiencing delays in closings with vacant homes at all. But totally different story if your home has got people living in it. Let's talk more about how law is affecting things and eviction moratoriums and how you're dealing with that and the prospect of non-paying tenants if that tenant realizes that there is a temporary eviction moratorium. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, property owners are generally a little bit more up to date on these things, but probably most people are aware anyway that um, with, with so much, this is like a proper crisis. So people the last thing people want is is for guys to be getting kicked out of their houses. So there, there's a moratorium on evictions. Uh, in And it's, it's county by county and state by state where I operate. There's, there's one in place until May 15th. So six weeks from now, 45 days from now. Um, you know, that means that if a tenant fails to pay their rent, you won't be able to... Um, you, know, you won't be able to evict them for at least 45 days. The, the sheriffs aren't processing those claims. But, you know, we still expect the majority of tenants to pay on time and in full. And, and we've, you know, the property manager we work with has been very proactive in communicating with the tenants and with the property owners, just reminding them that they are required to pay on the first of the month, that they will still get three-day notices and eviction paperwork can still be filed for future processing. And if they want to keep their home, uh, they should be paying their rent on time. So they're being very clear with them on their obligations, but also very clear that if if you do have a problem, if you have suffered a drop in income, um, you know we're very willing to be flexible and sympathetic and empathetic, and, and you know providing resources for people that are under genuine stress. But the main thing is communication. If your tenant is communicating clearly with the property manager and is providing you know proof of of a job loss or or some other kind of stressful event, then you know landlords need to be proactive in maybe waiving late fees and, you know, allowing tenants to pay a week or two late or whatever else might happen. But, you know, Florida is a pro-landlord state. It still is. It, it, I suspect it always will be. Um, you know, tenants are still going to need to pay their bills. I mean, so far it's, it's April 3rd now. We have had an increase in the numbers of people paying their lend rate. 
but it hasn't been a very substantial increase. I mean, we saw the job numbers going from here to here. I mean, the tenants non-paying is kind of going from this to this. So it's, it's a slight uptick in our areas. Other areas, it might be a more severe uptick, but we're you know, being very proactive in communicating with them about what we expect them to do, giving them you know, resources to click on if, if they need you know, government help. Obviously, there's you know, hundreds of billions of dollars being, being spent on helping uh, families, on, on small businesses and big businesses. So there's, people are going to be uh, taking advantage of that, and, and they should be. Proactivity and empathy are great approaches for a property manager to begin with in getting rent from their tenants. But yeah, you do have to let them know that you do owe the rent. You know, a lot of tenants don't realize that us as investors typically have a mortgage to pay. They don't understand yeah. that. But yeah, I think part of the empathy in working with a tenant is telling them things like, for example, if they've always paid with cash or a cash-based system previously, let them pay by credit card and offer to pay the credit card fees. Or if that doesn't work, tell them that they can pay in installments. And if that doesn't work, tell them that perhaps they can apply the security deposit to the rent. And under normal circumstances, those last two things, installments and applying the security deposit, I don't think that that's good guidance, but these are strange times and it might call for using strange measures in order to get the rent. If, if you can use it as a way to build additional loyalty, you know, between the landlord and the tenant, that's a very good thing. I had a tenant, for example, that's been with me about seven years, a single mom with a middle school kid. And she said, I want to pay, can I pay the rent two weeks late because I need to buy a, a laptop and some supplies for my kid. And, and she kind of gave me a, a screen print of this thing from the school saying, and I, I know I've got kid elementary school kids at home and we're literally homeschooling them and they need laptops. So instead of saying, yes, pay the rent two weeks late, I offered, I'll buy you a laptop as a gesture of goodwill, but pay me the rent on time. And that's for me is, is a win-win. Is, is you're, creating, you're strengthening the relationship, you're removing a temporary problem she has. She's going to remember that kind of gesture probably for many years and, and will hopefully be staying with me another seven years. But I wouldn't have done that with a brand new tenant or anything like that. But there's, there's little gestures. It doesn't have to be a $250 laptop. It can be a 30 buck voucher for something or a $50 voucher for something, but just make some effort to help tenants that have been previously loyal and paying on time and are under some genuine kind of stress, which is easy to prove. We can help our tenants. We can tell them, Mr. or Mrs. Tenant, if you pay by credit card, I'll pay the credit card fees. Or if you do have to pay late because you're doing installments, I'll waive your late fee. So little gestures that we can show that we're willing to help out tenants and work with them, but they do need to pay the rent because we have our own bills to pay. So as we think about this and how this could change our cash flow stream, you know, some people might be on thinner ground from the investor standpoint. Are are there any repairs that can be postponed? Like which repairs do you think are ones that can be postponed and which do you think need to take place due to safety and other things? Yeah. I mean, some repairs need, I mean, non, I mean, safety issues always need to be repaired. That's, you know, kind of fire and flood and kind of general safety. There's nothing you can do to kind of delay those. There's other repairs that should be delayed just because you, you don't want to be mixing lots of people together in a house. Like, for example, if there's paint peeling on, a, on a, a wall somewhere or some bathroom door doesn't quite lock, that's not an urgent repair. That, that can wait quite a long time. So I would postpone all non-urgent repairs, not necessarily because you need to accumulate lots of money for a rainy day. I think you should always have had like at least six months reserves for any property you own anyway. That's 
you know, anytime I buy a property, I set aside six months in a, a kind of an, a, an escrow account that, that isn't used for investing or, or spending. It's just there to cover vacancies and, and maintenance reserves. So I do that with all of them. And everybody should always be maintaining those reserves. Some people do three to five months of their rent. I just set aside six months, but non-essential repairs should be postponed. People are doing that anyway, just for practical reasons to avoid sending people into lots of different houses for, for health reasons. But uh, safety issues, nothing you can do about them. Your, your property manager is going to take care of them, whether you want them to or not. And uh, they can't be postponed and, and they shouldn't be postponed. But yeah, non-essential stuff is, is going to fall down to a very low level for the, you know, for a few months. It probably would have been helpful if I would have explained earlier that Colin's company, Torcana, their business model is in general for them to go out and identify a dilapidated home, acquire it, fix it up, put a tenant in it, assign a property manager to it, and then sell it to an investor. And then the investor goes ahead and holds it for the long term. In mm-hmm. a nutshell, that is turnkey real estate investing. So you do keep this flow of properties. You're buying, fixing them up, and you're selling them. What has your recent experience been now that we've been in the pandemic for a while? What has it been with investors and with local MLS residential buyers, even people that want to make it their own home, owner occupants and investors alike? What's the experience been lately? I mean, this this could be because we've, you know, been around for ten years and we've got a very good reputation. We've got a deep pool of of investors, but for us, the the demand for our renovated properties is very much there. We have a very good quality product at a reasonable price in in you know very well proven markets. I mean, one hundred and fifty thousand dollar single family homes, you know, fully renovated, three bedrooms, two baths. They, they look fantastic. They rent out very quickly. So there's still plenty of people to buy those. I mean, there's you know, the demand is there. Has it fallen off? Whereas, you know, previously I might have had, a, you know, even 10 or even 12 people trying to reserve a property that I might advertise on a Wednesday morning. Now those numbers are falling down, but we're still having multiple people trying to reserve properties. We've had, I've had existing buyers uh, getting in touch with me just to let me know that they're still in the market for another couple of houses. Because I guess the real estate, they realize that real estate is, is fundamentally a sound investment. I mean, maybe even more so now that you're seeing the you know, we're in one of those crazy volatility times in the stock market. Real estate, you know, your your my re- the value of my real estate portfolio hasn't dropped thirty percent in yeah. the last three months, uh, but you know, stock market has, and I, I prefer it that way. I prefer it a little bit slower and steady. And even if real estate prices do drop for a couple of quarters, it's very unlikely that the rental income is going to drop anywhere near by the same amount. It tends to be far more stable in long term areas. I'm not talking about Airbnbs. I'm talking about suburban rental properties, it tends to be very steady, $1,000 a month, $1,200 a month. So the demand from owner-occupiers is still very much there. I, I signed a contract on an MLS property this morning. We've, we had multiple full price offers on it because, again, it was priced very, very well. It was priced similarly to other houses on the market, but it was much nicer than other houses on the market. Just that new kitchen granite tops, those new cabinets, those that subway backsplash to professional photos. It just attracted a lot of interest. Obviously being vacant is a big help. So there's still demand is out there for, for these properties. Uh, and the, you know, as of early April, I expect it to get a bit volatile during the next two months as we reach the peak of this thing. But um, you know, touch wood, reservations and sales are, are proceeding at a, at a normal, normal pace where we're selling them at the speed we want to be selling them. 
You as an investor need to be sure that you can cover the mortgage on your property. As long as you have confidence that you can do that in the near term, then and only then, go ahead and think about that long term. And the fact that mortgage qualification standards, they have become more stringent recently due to the pandemic. So there is a higher bar but there's a greater benefit to clearing that bar. You get these historically low mortgage interest rates. And the fact that the bar is set so high also means that it's difficult for people to go and buy a home for the first time. So now when it's difficult for people to become first-time homebuyers, that increases the amount of people in the rental pool, which can, just can, increase the demand for renters because now you have more people in your rental pool to deal with. I had this happen to me myself in 2008. When I saw real estate prices go down, there really wasn't any viable loan availability at that time. And that means I could actually get more for my rent income. I don't know that that's going to happen this time, but the point is that when loan qualification standards get more stringent, it can be more difficult for people to go become first-time homebuyers, and that widens your prospective renter pool. It does. I I completely agree with you. And I think most of your listeners are borrowing with conventional loans, which is at the moment by far the most secure type of loan. Uh, Portfolio loans have gotten more difficult, jumbo loans more difficult, FHA loans are getting very wobbly as well. So if you're a conventional buyer and you have that debt income ratio, you have a decent credit score, you, you can get some fantastic opportunities, low interest opportunities. And also, by the way, if you are unfortunate enough to be in a market where a tenant isn't paying you for three or four months and, and you can't take eviction action, that works both ways. The banks can't make you pay your mortgage either. If you're not receiving an income, you can call them and you can, you, can, you can request a forbearance. You can request that they postpone your mortgage payments. Talk to your lender about that. Again, it, it works both ways. You can't just put the pressure on landlords to continue their payments if tenants aren't able to continue there. So, you know, don't, don't kind of suffer in silence if that's your case. You, you could probably turn a 30-year mortgage into a 30-year and five-month mortgage if you needed to. Just talk to your lender about it. And like you say, these interest rates are not going to be around forever. You know, the high trees, percents, low four percents, that's not the norm. Talk to anybody who's been investing for 20, 30 years. Those are fantastic rates to, to lock in. And if you have your reserves... Uh, you know, built up and you can weather bumps in the road, real estate is going to be a fantastic investment over the long term. Always has. You've talked about your five ways of making money for it. That, yeah. that hasn't changed due to the coronavirus. I'm really glad you brought that up because many areas have eviction moratoriums and many of those same areas also are providing borrowers like investors with loan forbearance. And yeah, I mean, the fact about the low mortgage interest rates just can't be underscored enough. Mortgage interest rates on 30-year loans were 18% in the United States in 1981. Freddie Mac has been tracking 30-year mortgage rates since 1971, and the average since that time is 7.7%, and we're substantially under that. So as long as you can weather those short-term cash flow disruptions, your 30-year mortgage is going to substantially outlast the coronavirus. That's one thing we do know. So it's nice sometimes to talk about what we do know because there's plenty that we don't know here. And we're talking about what we don't know here, Colin. Tell us about what differences you and your property manager there at Torcana that you've noticed in the past several weeks since the pandemic really set in and people had stay-at-home orders. What changes have you noticed? I mean, not as many as I thought. I mean, we do expect more changes as this drags on and and gets more serious every week. 
Um, like I say, we've communicated very clearly to all the tenants, reminding them of their obligations, you know, for, for payment and maintenance charges and sources of additional information. You sent them um, letters. Yeah, we've worked on processes for tenants that are that are late this week or late the first week of May. We've, we've specifically they're going to get their three day notice and a specific letter outlining them what what's going to happen next and reminding them of of their legal obligations and reminding them of the long term consequences of not paying rent and the consequences of not communicating clearly with us. Um, but so far, like I say, these low inventory areas, there's, there's high rental demand, there's, there's high buyer demand, there's very low exposure to the service industry. And if you have a, like a good product, a very competent property manager, uh, good, good communication lines, I think you're going to do fine through this crisis. We haven't noticed a huge disruption in our business. I'm well aware that other very well run and very well established businesses are, are having severe disruption through no fault of their own. But our kind of our business is, is doing fine, not because we're, we're geniuses, but just because we happen to operate in, in a section of the market that is very resilient to the disruption that's being caused by the coronavirus. And that's we're lucky that that's the case. But I, I'm not expecting uh, to suffer as much, thank goodness, as a lot of other people are, are suffering. Our business is, is, is well prepped to weather this storm. Our, our, the investors that have been buying houses from us the last 10 years in these neighborhoods are very, very well prepared to, to kind of weather this storm and, and their income streams, I suspect, will hold very steady through the summer and beyond for the vast majority of them. Well, as one of the reputable turnkey providers, for years, your demand for your product has exceeded your supply. And hey, maybe now this will just help bring things a little bit more into mm-hmm. balance as compared to where they were. So, well, Colin, as we're winding down here, why don't you tell us about the ongoing communication that you have with the investor, which is obviously really important to investors. I know you do a terrific job with that through you guys' email newsletter, and you yeah. even have your own podcast. So tell us about that communication. Yeah, we, we've always prided ourselves on, on being a relatively marketing savvy company. In some ways, real estate kind of lags behind other <laughs> industries when it comes to communications. Yeah, and so 10-year-old websites out there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all of that. So yeah, we, we do have a podcast. If you type in Colin Murphy or Torcana, you, you'll see it. Our website's torcana.com. We do communicate regularly with investors through newsletters, outlining our thoughts on the ground, our recent observations. We do webinars. Uh, we do podcasts, like you say. So we do try and communicate with people at least you know three times a month uh, with with some short updates, and and we're very we're very easy to get hold of. I mean, some people just don't answer their phones or don't answer their emails. I'm not one of those people. While I value my time at quite you know quite closely, I do respond very quickly to emails. I do make it easy for people to book times to talk with me in kind of 20, 25 minute slots. So. I'm always available to to talk to any of our customers, you know, past, present, or, or future, and that's important for any other business owner listening to this. It's more important than ever that you communicate to your your customers, and you want to keep them, and you want to come out of this with your reputation enhanced. Well, Colin, do you have any last things to add about the pandemic effects on providing housing, having a tenant reliably pay the rent, keeping places occupied, and that interface with the property manager? You've summarized it quite well <laughs> there. All right. I think this just highlights better than ever the benefits of being a long-term uh, residential real estate owner. I mean, if you were, if you had your wealth tied up in REITs, they're suffering a lot. If you had it tied up in commercial property, that could be suffering a lot. If you're trying to self-manage a bunch of multifamilies or a bunch, bunch of condos, that's got a lot more difficult. But just having a diverse 
residential single family home portfolio in kind of low density neighborhoods, just middle class, lower middle class tenants. That is for me, the safest place you can put your money right now. And and it should be an important part of anybody's portfolio. And it just goes back to what we talked about at the top of the show, that we're not trying to do anything particularly new or innovative. It's it's so simple that just buying a middle-class single-family home in a nice neighborhood that's affordable, affordable for tenants, affordable for buyers, is is a great get-rich-slow strategy. That was true last year. Is true now, and it's going to be true next year. And I'll just tell you, I put my faith in Colin and his company myself. I bought a few homes from them two years ago, mm-hmm. a couple last year, and there's a good chance I'll do more of the same this year as interest rates continue to get lower and I lock in that low cost of money. Thanks, Colin, for the great summary about what's been going on here in this strangest of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Keith. My, my pleasure. appreciate the opportunity. Well, this is Keith Weinhold with Get Rich Education signing off. Don't quit your daydream. So there you go. That was the webinar I recorded with Keith Weinhold of Get Rich Education just a few days ago. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. And before I let you go for the day, just a couple of things I want to delve into about real estate and, you know, it's very likely that there's going to be a recession in 2020. It's, it's pretty much inevitable, particularly in Q2 and Q3. And I'm hopeful there's going to be a strong recovery after that. But it's important to bear in mind that this recession is going to be very different than the one of 2008. The one of 2008 stemmed directly from a banking and lending crisis in the real estate market. What we're seeing now is very different. This the you know actual and potential impact of the coronavirus is is a little bit like a medically induced coma. It's, it's hitting both supply and demand simultaneously across multiple developed economies. That hasn't happened really in anybody's lifetimes. And while many of the sectors hardest hit, you know, manufacturing, energy, travel, leisure are, are going to recover, you know, a lot of companies aren't going to recover. And other ones that were valued too highly are getting a serious reality check. Um, you know, we also have to bear in mind central banks don't have the same firepower to boost activity that, that they used to. Interest rates are already incredibly low, uh, you know, in most of the most powerful economies. Uh, we also had an oil war started a month ago, which, which didn't help. The cheaper gas is, is great for customers and countries like Japan that import a lot of oil, but, you know, took us every, took everybody by surprise and there's people worried about corporate defaults in, in the highly leveraged oil companies. But where does real estate fit into all of this? I mean, you can talk all day about this and you can read about it all day, which you really shouldn't. But ironically enough, even before the stock market crash, investors were already turning to real estate because of those high valuations and the lack of strong yields elsewhere. And as I've said many times in podcasts and seminars, webinars, real estate provides valuable protection in unstable times. It provides value protection against inflation And for me, it's practically the only major income class that generates a decent amount of cash flow at low risk. It's also much less volatile and also uncorrelated to the stock market. The S&P 500 jumped 30% in in 2019 and then lost most of that during a couple of weeks and has lost more than 30% so far in, in 2020. But how's the value of your personal house and your rental portfolio changed during the last, you know, four months eight months, 12 months, 16 months. I mean, I know my are doing fine. I'm not worried 
about the value of my rental portfolio falling 40% this year or next year. It, it hasn't, and I don't think it will at all. So that the end, end of the day, you can still buy renovated properties in areas with high local demand, with low exposure to the service sector that generate like 7% cap rates or, or 10 or 11% cap rates when you leverage them. And that doesn't even include the unique tax benefits that are available to real estate owners or the long-term benefits of appreciation or the advantage of using a bank's money to buy the house and a tenant's money to repay the loan. So you know, even before the stock market correction, you're doing well if you can get more than a 2% return on dividends or government bonds. You can still get 7% on leverage, 10 or 11% leverage with real estate in, in certain areas, including the ones we promote in Tampa, Florida. And, you know, just even getting away from the United States, I can I have some knowledge of European real estate. I'm, I'm from Ireland originally. I lived in London for many years. I lived in Madrid, Spain for many years. And I can tell you from personal experience that the types of cap rates available in markets like Tampa, Florida and many other uh, major metropolitan areas throughout the country just don't exist in major European cities at all. And as for 30-year fixed loans, forget it. That's a unique American privilege. I mean, loan rates are incredibly low. You know, the you know, 3.9%, 4%, 4.2%, 4.3%. Even for the US, that's historically low. The average over the last 30 to 40 years is, is in the low 7%. So if you can get something locked in for 30 years in the low fours, you're, you're doing fantastically well and you should take advantage of it if you're able to. And also... When people get nervous about the global economy, which obviously people are incredibly nervous about the global economy, real estate, U.S. real estate in particular, is considered to be a safe haven investment, not just by Americans, but by savvy investors worldwide. And that drives up demand. You know, I've read multiple articles about, you know, major rental property websites that reported increases in traffic from abroad. You know, I'm talking about increases of four, five, six hundred percent in inquiries about U.S. properties from Asia, from Germany, from the United Kingdom. I think you're going to see a little bit more of that in, in the coming months that deep pocketed U.S. and foreign funds are, are, you know, probably going to increase their real estate allocations. And a lot of regular investors are doing the exact same thing. So I think U.S. residential real estate and specifically single family homes in, in low density suburban neighborhoods are looking more valuable and more stable than ever. Uh, they're, they're, they're selling and they're renting and they're providing a good supply of income. And I think they're going to hold their value better than a lot of other asset classes in the coming months and years. So don't forget Florida and the U.S. in particular, or Florida in particular, is a very fast growing population. It's expanding more rapidly than the supply of homes. New households are being formed every month, regardless of a stay at home order. I mean, there's people that need places to live. Demand for rentals and resales is, is there. Um, you know, we sell, we have a very straightforward business. We sell affordable property in suburban middle-class areas of Tampa. It's got a diverse economy. It's got a strong job market. It's a low tax environment. It's got low exposure to the service sector. It's got high exposure to the government sector. Obviously got a rich culture, wonderful climate. So I think these affordable price points and rents in, in certain neighborhoods just make these types of homes very profitable, very resilient to the volatility that we're all, we all have experienced so far this year and that we're all going to continue to experience in the coming months. So, you know, have a think about that. And, you know, a final kind of parting thought, try um, 
you know, try to avoid keeping a constant eye on the news and the const and the social media because you can, it's it's not good. You can stare at the news all day long, and there's an unending supply of stories and videos about the coronavirus and and anything else you want to read about. I would consider myself to be a reasonably informed person, but I try to limit myself, not all of successfully, but I try to limit myself to 30 minutes of news in the morning and another 30 minutes in the evening. None of it comes from the television or social media or, or phone calls. It's all just from my computer, from certain reputable websites and news sites. So, you know, bear that in mind. Uh, keep yourself informed, but don't waste valuable time in the middle of the day kind of staring at news. Just kind of make a plan for yourself, decide what's best for you, best for your family, and keep moving. Just keep moving. We're all going to be fine. So thanks again for listening to this slightly different episode, uh, 38. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Keith Weinhold and appreciate your feedback as always and your your good wishes and your ratings. And uh, that's it. Everybody take care. Stay safe. This is Colin Murphy signing out. This recording contains general information relating to the real estate market and it is for educational purposes only. Buyers should always seek appropriate legal, tax and financial advice from suitably qualified professionals before entering into any real estate transaction. Actual returns from rental properties will always vary from person to person and deal to deal based on unique circumstances. And while we've no reason to doubt the validity of comments of any guests on our show, we do not warrant their accuracy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Torcana Real Estate Investment Show with Colin Murphy. Don't forget to hit subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play for new episodes and tips on building a rental property portfolio.